If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, welcome to In The Pink, sponsored by Bose. Stay home, stay healthy, stay connected. Your, your big break in Formula 1, I'm sure the opportunity would have come otherwise, but it, it did come following probably the greatest tragedy ever in our sport um, of losing Ayrton Senna. Um, how difficult was that for you to step up uh, and fill his seat at Williams in those circumstances? Well, I think obviously a lot of time has passed. So, you know, details of the, the emotions subside over time. But one thing that's quite clear, I think, as I look back, you know, approaching my 50th year, the benefit of youth is you don't know what you don't know. You don't know you don't know it. <laughs> you, know, you, you just, you're just living for the moment. And as you get older, you've experienced things and, and then you become, I guess, a bit more sentimental and a bit more emotional about the, the impact of, of certain events. So in terms of being a test driver for Williams, the greatest driver arguably ever, certainly one of the greatest of that period, mm. being killed in a car that I'd been testing the week before and had been part of the development program was incredibly shocking. But at no point did I ever feel that I was going to stop racing on the basis of it. And I think this is just the way we are made. And in the same way that humans, we get on with things after tragedy. And, you know, humans have been practicing this and dealing with it for generations before we came along. It is part of life, dealing with loss. And uh, it's, it, my, my approach at the time was to recognize that I could be an opportunity, you know, it could be an opportunity for me to, to become a Grand Prix driver, but I I decided, and I spoke to my manager at the time that I didn't want us to approach the Williams team because they had, you know, terrible circumstance to deal with. And I'd been testing for them for three years. So they had all the information they needed to make a judgment as to whether I could be the replacement. So I, I, I didn't have any contact in terms of being a driver. Clearly I had contact with the team, uh, and I'd had a, a fax from, from Ayrton and, and Patrick and Frank and a few of the marketing team on the Sunday morning when uh, I was racing at Silverstone. And I, I, in the old-fashioned faxes that came through, uh, remember those days. And, in, and I've, still got, I've still got the fax, actually. And it, it had Ayrton had signed it just very best, you know, for, you know, to you, actually, he put on there. But so, you know, that was the morning. And then by the afternoon, we'd all sadly, you know, Seen, seen the accident and that came off the back of Rubens' crash on the Friday, Roland Ratzenberger sadly losing his life on the Saturday and, and then Ayrton's tragedy. So uh, it is what it is and it was what it was and 
three weeks later, I was racing in, in Barcelona for the team. And I could never replace Ayrton, but what I could do was give 100% effort out of respect to the team, out of respect to his legacy. And that's the approach I took. And did you feel an increased pressure because of that? No, not at all. No, I, again, and I don't know if you can relate to this in your own personal career. For me, pressure is when I feel I'm not in control. You know, if I feel I'm prepared and not in control in some sort of control freak kind of way, because there's so much of my career that was full of uncertainty. You can't possibly know what's going to happen at the start. You can't possibly know what's going to happen at the first corner and many other things you don't know. But I, I, what I mean is if I felt prepared, if I felt I'd done my homework, if I felt that I'd got all the information that was available at that point, I was comfortable in making a decision. And right down to the point, Patrick Head came on the radio. And, you know, I could bore you with all the details as to why we didn't run on Friday. Um, but the first time I drove the car in Barcelona was actually for qualifying because there was... Max Mosley had imposed some rule changes. Only Ferrari and Minardi had done the practice sessions. Williams and a number of other teams decided not to. So the very first time I drove the car at a Grand Prix was going into qualifying. Now, obviously, I knew the car. I knew the circuit. But Patrick Head came on the radio and said, David, uh, you know, no pressure. He didn't really need to be on the radio because, as you know, Patrick Head is such a booming voice. He was, right, David, yeah. No pressure, just go out and have some fun and, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I go on my radio from the car and go, thank you, Patrick. Um, just one question. When I leave the garage, do I turn left or right? Of course, I was just having some fun and looking for the radio button to give me an answer. And he sees all the mechanics are laughing and he realizes I'm taking the piss. So, um, yeah, I felt very relaxed because I, I wasn't trying to be someone else. I was just there to be myself and to try and deliver for the team. Mm. And now your move from Williams to McLaren, um, legal action was required. This is something that really fascinates me in Formula One. Was there any bad blood? How long did it last? Because, you know, this is such a small paddock. And I'm always interested to know if there's any kind of hangover from these situations, you know, moving between teams. You know, when you see... Even now, you know, you see Daniel winking and waving at Christian. They're still friends. There's no real bad blood there. Um, but obviously it's going to smart a bit. And actually, I'm quite intrigued to know what you would have thought if the shoe had been on the other foot, would Ron have taken it so well as Frank? I think that part of the business, they're so used to trying to get one over on each other. That's part of the, 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 the politics of the sport the intrigue of the sport, you know, when they go into all these team principal meetings or, you know, with the commercial rights holders or, you know, as Bernie as it was at that time or the FIA, they're not going in unprepared. They haven't had, you know, lobbied around and decided who they're going to vote with and who's helping who. And even, you know, today it's maybe more political than it's ever been because there's so many teams that have got Mercedes engines or so many teams that have got Ferrari engines and you know some that have got Honda and of course they're, they're going to bunch together because somebody will hold something back if they don't so the leverage ultimately is is strong enough to to control largely what's going to happen um, so when when sometimes I hear uh, you know some of the things that have been proposed in meetings 
you knew before they went into the meeting, if it was commercial rights holder, the teams would never agree to it. So I personally would just skip to the bit where you get things that they might agree to because I, I just don't... I just don't see the point of wasting heartbeats in conversation, but a lot of people do. A lot of people literally love meetings. <laughs> you know, they love yeah. sitting and not really deciding anything. That certainly wouldn't work from the way my personality is, uh, the way I'm wired. But um, you know, you know that, that legal process that I had to serve notice on Williams to tell them that I was going to McLaren Frank was fine with it. He was like, well, the lawyers will decide. I remember Patrick came into his office and he was furious and he was like, you'll never drive for this team again. And then wandered out and I remember Frank going, well, you know, that's Patrick, but we'll, we'll see what the lawyers say. And so I was racing for Williams through 95. I had to go to a contract recognition board, which is the body that, can, that hold all of the driver's contracts in Switzerland, even today. So it's, it's a body that you know, will decide rather than having to go to, to a court of law on who has the primary contract if there's an issue. And I had to be in that meeting sitting on the McLaren side of the desk opposite Williams, who I was racing for, to then have them say that McLaren had the dominant contract for 96 and then to go out and then go to the next Grand Prix and race for Williams. And, and Patrick, uh, sorry, Frank was, was really, he was fine with it. He, of course, he would prefer not to have gone through the process. But he, I think he enjoyed being cross-examined by the QC and, you know, he's a very high intellect man. And, and so he needs that mental stimulation. And it was just part of the, the ins and outs of going Grand Prix racing. So in the end, uh, I went to, went to McLaren. But the backstory on that is I actually turned up uh, December 94, the end of my first season. We'd agreed a two-year contract with Williams. So we turned up at um, Frank's office and... Uh, just as the, the uh, lawyer for Williams is getting contracts out, Frank says, I've changed my mind. I don't want to do a two-year contract. I want to do a one-year contract. So that was news to me. It was news to my manager. And it was news to Frank's lawyer, who then is looking at the papers that he's prepared. And uh, so we go into Frank's secretary's office. And we've already been talking to Ron Dennis about driving for, for McLaren in '96. And we, we, my manager and I phoned Ron, and Ron said, come to walking, and we will do a deal for 96, 97. So we went back into Frank's office, agreed to do the one-year deal for 95, drove to walking, agreed a deal for 96, 97 for McLaren. I then jumped in my car and drove to Scotland for Christmas with my parents. And I, I got home and I said, oh, there's, there's good news. I'll be a Grand Prix driver for the next three years, uh, but I'll be with two different teams. And you can imagine the confusion. My mum's a, you know, a, a, a lovely, typical Scottish housewife. Yeah, so she was probably in between you know, cooking or doing something and going, oh, that's nice, dear. You know, my father's going, what? How does that work? So anyway, that was the backstory. Otherwise, I would have said it's uh, Williams. I find it fascinating, though, because I don't think there's another sport like it where you're all kind of, bundled into this paddock together can you imagine a sort of acrimonious deal between two agents in football fighting over one player and then all having to sort of be kicked by jowl for you know at the next race and, and and getting on with it because that was I remember I always go back to this but Murray Walker said to me before I first um, came into the sport anyone who's a wrong and gets weeded out I'm sure he put it more eloquently than that but the point is and it goes back to your earlier point um, I think 
everybody in F1 can see a bit of themselves in each other. And that's why when we collaborate, it works. So um, I don't know. I don't, I don't know another sport that's similar to this. And, uh, and I, I think it's fascinating to see how the dynamic changes between drivers and teams and the loyalty that they've got to show to each other that then changes. But then, you know, there can't be any bad blood because we've all got to live together. Yeah. Well, the other thing as well, and I think this is why, and of course I would say this, to use a Ron expression, <laughs> Ron would say that very often, but I would say this because I've, um, I've had my life in, in motor racing and Formula One, but I really think it, it enables us to cut the crap and get to the point. You, you don't have to like everybody. There has to be respect. You just can't, you can't work with people you, you know, or you can work for a short period of time with people you, you don't respect, but not for a long period of time. So there's a, there's a large amount of respect in the paddock, even if there's not a, a large amount of friendship. There are some good friendships, as you know, um, but there's, there's a whole bunch of people that, you know, we would see that we don't really know or we wouldn't really ever think to say anything more than hello to. It's just the way of, of that particular environment. But what I think is great is the business of Formula One and the business of sport teaches people to put something behind them and move on and i think a lot of other industries and um you know i see it i've got some friends in the, in the music industry as you have and i see sort of talent agents and i'm sure agents generally and in, in the sort of television world and, you, and and the friends that you have within in that world they, they can be real horrible people because they get power because they're representing a big star and they treat people horribly and of course, as long as they've got the power of the star, the, the people sort of have to pan, you know, pan, pander to them. Is that the word? Um, but they, and if they ever lose the power, get found out. But of course, but why they would ever want to operate at that level? But it's because a lot of others do. You know, you have to kind of be a bit of an asshole in that world uh, to get to be seen as the hard deal maker. And it's, it just doesn't have to be like that. You know, there's been some really tough negotiations done between Ron and Ayrton, or I'm sure Lewis and Toto, or Christian and Sebastian, or, you know, Daniel and, and you know, Mr. Matashitz. You know, they're probably, that relationship's probably never going to quite heal, but certainly uh, Helmut and, and Christian would, I'm sure, have no problem with the fact that Daniel took a different route because they've got the racing respect. And that's the key thing. I think that we have to get over things. And therefore, we just, we make our point and then we move on. Thanks so much for listening to In The Pink. I hope you've enjoyed the podcast you've listened to so far. Please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. Check out our Instagram page at in underscore the underscore pink. And you get all the details there about how you can win some of those Bose noise cancelling headphones. And Join the community. We're all talking about the various guests that we've had on the podcast and who we'd like to see and hear in the next few weeks. So thank you for joining us. Stay with us. Stay healthy. Stay home. Stay connected with Bose. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlingbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.